What is up, my friends? Welcome to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast, where I interview incredible fathers, gaining wisdom from their stories for you and I to grow in our craft. I'm your guide, Ned Shout, father to five kiddos, currently ages 8 to 15, and husband to my rad wife, Sarah, working on our 17th year of marriage. So yep, I'm in the thick of it, the adventure of fatherhood. And I'm working daily to rebel against the low expectations for fathers and create a world where fathers know who they are as they show up for their families. You and I have the greatest opportunity to impact our world through the way we embrace our fatherhood role. I believe the role of the father is to serve, guide, provide, protect, and have fun in the messiness of it all. I'm so stoked for you to meet today's guest, Tanner Guzzi. This guy is going to have you rethinking some things. So a couple little highlights is one, he teaches men how to dress and we discuss how to dress like the man that you are. And then we dig into you as a man, as a father, having a moral responsibility to dress well for your kids and why that is the case. Enjoy meeting my friend, Tanner. All right, welcome to another episode of Fatherhood Field Notes. Super stoked to be talking to my new friend, Tanner Guzzi. Tanner, how are you today? I'm great, Ned. I'm stoked to be here, man. Dude, yes, we met at the TEDx, which was such an incredible opportunity for us to both speak at uh, Acton Placer. Love what Matt Boudreaux's doing. That guy is just such an inspiration of fully live as yourself. So that's where we met. And um, I mean, that was a couple months ago, dude, that was, that was an interesting experience. How was your experience planning a TEDx and and talking about your passion? Man, I was, I was kind of blown away by how difficult it was because I've been, honestly, I've been doing public speaking since I was six years old and giving Mm. talks in church. And I've done, I've done big conferences and you give me an hour and a half and I I don't have to do much prep. I can, you know, I I know my subject well enough to be able to talk about it, but 10 to 15 minutes and they have to take a decade's worth of information and everything and compact it down into that time. And it was, that was, I've never stressed so much about giving a presentation and thankfully it all went really well, but that was a whole different ball game for me. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm looking forward to that being out so we can share those. So as soon as yours is out, I'll definitely be sharing it with the world and we'll get into the topic. You know, the thing that was so helpful for me was really bringing clarity to my message because it's like you got 10 minutes to communicate what matters most to your soul. Like you got to think about every single word. Absolutely. Everything has to count and there's no wasted space. There's nothing you got to you got to be really poignant with it. Yeah, it was gnarly. It was gnarly. So cool. I'm super pumped to be talking fatherhood with you. Um, I know this is going to be a little different, but I want to start off with a couple questions. Cool. So tell me about you. How old are you today? 37. 37. And where do you reside? I am in Orem, Utah. So a little bit south of Salt Lake City. Yeah. Okay. And how many years you've been married? Uh, 10 years this year. Yeah. We're just 10 years in a few months. So some change. Yep. Love it. Okay. And then how many kiddos do you got? We have five. Dang, 10 years, five <laughs> kids. You've been yeah. busy. Yeah, we've been busy. We're not done yet either. So I, I have four girls and a boy. My boy is number two. And uh, I've, I have I never thought I would be surrounded by so many women in my life. <laughs> yeah, right. My friend was a fireman and he had three gorgeous daughters. And he, I, I remember because we used to work for him when we were like 17, 18 in his backyard. And he's, you know, drive the BMW, like, you know, fireman, studly dude. Uh-huh. And he's, he's always like, 
I thought I'd be surrounded by beautiful women my whole life, but I never thought it'd be my daughter. <laughs> yeah, not, that type of women. Yeah. <laughs> not that type. <laughs> we were just laughing at him, man. Um, so five, but not done yet. Is there yeah. a cap to this or no? I don't know. For us, uh, we're a religious family. And so we're kind of waiting until we get told that it's, that it's time to be done. So, yeah. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I love, I love that. Um, all right. So five kids married 10 years, 37 live in Utah. What would you say the role the father is? So I'm old school. Um, I believe that the father is the head of the household and that it's his responsibility to set the tone and the tenor and the mission for what the family is. And that doesn't Mm. mean that, uh, that his wife is, subservient to him or that she's somehow secondary, but you, you, you need a leader. You can't have two presidents or two heads or, or anything else. And it's the father's role to be the one to kind of set the tone and the buck stops with him, but he needs to do it in a way that is loving and is done in a way that ultimately he's willing to sacrifice his short-term or even his own personal long-term goals for what's best for, for the, the longevity and the, the overall benefit of his family. Yeah, because basically if you get put in that position, then your long-term goal is now leading that family, right? Yeah, so when you say that's you the say, mission. Your mission now has changed. When you're 22, you know, your mission might be something else, but when you are now given the opportunity to have a spouse and kids, that is now your mission. Right. hundred percent. And it's not their temporary, oh, I have to make them happy and feel good in the moment. It's I am creating the best environment for them to become the best possible versions of themselves. And a lot of times, unfortunately, that means not being happy in the exact moment, but their overall well-being, that's the mission. That's the goal. So I think that's a critical component because our world is obsessed with happiness. So you're mm-hmm. saying not be happy in the moment, but that's very different than choosing a life of joy. Right. So, right, right. so what, what does that mean to you to say, okay, well, we might not be happy in the moment, but it's not because you're trying to have a sucky household. It's because you're, you know, that through the struggle, there is something there. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's kind of the nature of sacrifice anyways. You, you put something good on the altar in hopes that you're going to get something better as a result. And, you know, farming sucks, going to work sucks, exercise sucks. <laughs> For women, giving birth to a baby sucks. None of that is happy or fun in the moment, but there's so many long-term benefits that come as a result of it. That's part of being a man and part of being an adult is being willing to say, I'm going to give up my short-term temporary idea of this is what feels good or this is what I'm in the mood to do for this is the bigger, more long-lasting, more far-reaching version of what joy or what actual true happiness is. So if you and I come from this stance that, that, I mean, clearly you're speaking about this from a place of deep belief, conviction, but we, you let it off with, I'm old school. So why (laughs) is it that what you and I long for as men, and maybe this will come up later in our conversation, but why is it that this thing that we long for, which comes from stability, um, consistency, responsibility, why do we like, why is it old school? Why isn't that like how it's, it just is, man, you're ready to do like a four hour show (laughs) to to figure this out together. There's so many things to try and unpack and figure out with that. And I think sadly what it's come down to is for the most part, things have been inverted and flipped on their head. And we are a culture of people that is willing to sacrifice long-term well-being for short-term pleasure or short-term happiness. Mm. It's it's the exact opposite of of what it should be. 
And there are cultural reasons for that. There are technological reasons for that. There are spiritual reasons for that. There are, there's so many things that go into it, but most of us live a life of ease and convenience. It's kind of the old Roman bread and circuses type thing that, you know, as long as I can, as long as I can watch Netflix or porn and eat junk food, then I'm, then I'm good. And sadly, that's how so many men today live. Sadly, that's how many dads today live is if I can Mm -hmm. just get the bare minimum done that my kids don't disobey me and my wife doesn't hate me and will sleep with me every once in a while. And then, then I'm good. And it's just, it's a sad way to live. Dude, that, that sounds just so sad and pathetic. Right? Yeah. But it takes work to sh- get your ass out of bed in the morning, look in the mirror and be like, all right, I'm going after this again. It's a battle and I'm the buck stops with me. Like I'm and to the do dude. it with enthusiasm, to do it with a real mm. desire to be better as opposed to this is what society expects of me, or this is what my ball and chain of a wife expects of me, or this is what my boss expects. It's not that you're just this passive object that's being acted upon by other people, but you're a subject, you're an agent unto yourself and you're going mm. out and you're engaging in that battle. You're fighting the battles and you're doing it because you see the value in it and you're convicted in it. And that changes everything. It doesn't matter if you fight the battle, if you don't do it for the right reasons. Yes. Yes. So it comes down to what are the expectations you have for yourself? Yes. Right. Because really the expectations that other people have for us is pretty minimal. When you think right. about fatherhood, it's like, you don't have to do much to be a good dad. That was both the ludicrous. best and most depressing part of your whole TED talk was it's setting that tone of how how low the expectations are to be a good dad. It sucks. It's so sad. It's like, oh, I took my kids to school this week. Oh my gosh, man, you are a great dad. Wow, you're really? just killing it as a father. <laughs> so funny, but awful, you know. But what's crazy? Okay, so I had this major aha this week. Well, I haven't shared with anybody yet. Awesome. Um, I have a decent relationship with my dad, but we're very opposite in in a lot of ways, faith-based, politically. So there's very few things we could connect on. Okay. But family, loving our spouses, loving our kids is critical. But we didn't grow up with a television in our house. And my mom told me this week, oh yeah, the reason your dad came in one day and is like, that's it, TV's gone, was he saw how the Simpsons were portraying Homer And he's like, my boys will not watch this. Awesome. And he was just so pissed about how fathers were being portrayed that that is what shut our TV off in our home. Man, good for him. Yeah, right? Good for him. Yeah. I still think The Simpsons is hilarious, but... uh, (laughs) But what a terrible example of intentional (laughs) fatherhood, right? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, Okay, so next question. As you've become a father, you've been in this game 10 years, what have you learned about yourself? And I ask this question because, you know, you, you grow up, uh, you're conflicted with maybe a coach or a parent or a teacher, and then you get married and, and God puts somebody opposite you. So there's definitely that rub where you're hopefully if you're leaning into it, forced to make changes. And then you have these little humans, which are half of you. Yeah. So as you've run into life, the messiness, the reality of it, what have you learned about yourself? Well, I don't think anybody can parent right without first realizing that you're going to have every single one of your fatal flaws and failings just thrown right back in your face because your <laughs> kids are going to embody a lot of those too. And it, it really sucks to see that. But the thing that I've learned the most, hmm. I feel like, and this kind of ties into this idea of Homer, the things that we've been talking about is that sadly, so many men they treat fatherhood 
as though it's like the end of, of who they were as an, an individual. It's the mm. end of their ambition. It's the end of their individuality. It's the end of their friendships and their passions. It's the end of the intimacy with their wives. It's kind of like fatherhood, the way it's portrayed, it really kind of sucks. It's the end of everything that's cool about being a guy. And if you do fatherhood wrong, it is that, but it also is a complete catalyst to an infinitely better version of friendships and intimacy and ambition and physicality and everything else. And so what I found is I was a pretty lackadaisical, pretty lazy, kind of go along to get along type guy. And then I start raising kids and I realize that that's what I'm modeling for them. And I have Mm -hmm. this moral obligation to model something so much better for them. And so for me, Fatherhood became the ultimate rocket fuel where all of my desire for excellence, everything that makes me push myself harder to learn this or experiment with that or take this risk or deal with that confrontation, everything comes back to am I setting the best example for my kids? And I love that kind of fuel. All of my excellence has has stemmed from being a father. Hmm. All of my excellence has stemmed from being a father, dude. That's huge. Why have you leaned into that? Why is that important? Because I can't, my conscience won't let me do it otherwise. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't tell my kids that they need to learn to play music and it's so good for their brains to learn how to do it if I don't play an instrument. And so I'm learning to play the cello while my kids are learning to play the piano. No. I can't tell my son that he needs to stop being a wimp and drop in on my neighbor's half pipe on a skateboard if I'm afraid to learn to skate on it. So I'm learning how to skate on the half pipe with my son. I can't be a hypocrite and want excellence or even desire or demand or something. You know, I can't, I can't help my kids aspire to excellence if I'm not willing to model that for them myself. Yeah. And what kind yeah. of a man am I? What kind of a father am I if I don't want excellence for my kids? Ah, yes. So talk about excellence because that's a killer word. Excellence. I think a lot of times we're talking about like, how'd you do in school compared to the other kids? The other kids, you know, we talk a lot about, we we compare best, better. We lean on those. Excellence has a very different tone to it. Yeah. Because excellence, I would love it if I were a subpar father, because all of the men around me, the way that fatherhood was portrayed in media, the way that our society treated fatherhood was infinitely better than what I'm producing. I would love to be a a subpar father because of that. Mm -hmm. Excellence has way more to do with meeting what your own individual potential is or meeting Mm -hmm. some sort of an objective standard as opposed to how good am I doing compared to the guy that's next to me. So excellence can be very common. Excellence can be very average in that everybody can attain it. It can be a normal standard thing, but it's also excellent because it's better than what the bare minimum requirements are as far as what your own potential is. Man, I love that answer. It's like we should want excellent fathers to be normal. And absolutely, you know, that's what we should be striving for is not that I'm the best dad on the block. No, no, that I'm that we're all like striving to be kick-ass dads to reach our potential. 100%. And think about that. Think about what good that would do for your kids. Think about what good that would do for them as far as the people that they're going to be dating and they're going to be marrying in the future. Think Mm -hmm. about what that does for you being friends with those kind of dads, with those other kind of men and having them reinforce those things when your kids are over at their house playing with their, like everybody's better when fathers pursue excellence. Everybody is. Yeah. 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 Every, yes. I mean, and that comes back to, we go, yes, that's true. When a father is, is 
pursuing excellence, everybody wins. But at the beginning, some people are shut off by, ooh, I don't know that the father's the leader of the household. But wait a second. Those are the two of the same things just said right. differently. Right. But our world is telling us like, oh, no, no, you're not supposed to lead your home. Get out of here. We all know in our core that when you make that statement about excellence, that the father sets that tone, that that makes you the leader of the home. Totally. Yep. And, and no man pursues excellence when he's dragged there begrudgingly by, by a nagging wife or by kids who resent him or by the parents that he never got out from under their thumb. You don't get to a level of excellence if you're doing it because somebody else makes you get there. It has to be internalized. Mm, mm, yes. Yes. Okay. So then let's get into this, man. So you have a unique job, unique role that you are playing out right now. And it really falls into, you know, the mantra of this podcast, it's fatherhood field notes. So it's like, we get to learn about you, but the mantras rebel and create. Mm -hmm. And as men, we need something to fight for, right? So what am I rebelling against? But not just to be rebellious for the sake of tearing a wall down, but when I right. tear it down, what am I going to create out of that? Yes. So let's jump into your job, your role, what you're doing with and for men and start it off by telling me, what are you rebelling against and what do you hope to create out of that rebellion? So I, I love this question and I love that you balance it out with the create aspect of it because you get so many people today that they just want to rebel. They know what they're anti or what they're opposed to, uh -huh. but, they, but they never focus on what it is that they're, they're for, or what it is that they're pro or what they're trying to establish. And it doesn't matter if you flee this particular dragon and then you're lost in the wilderness and you die from something else. Like you have to go to something that's better. So mm -hmm. I very much appreciate that this is the way that you're, you're, uh, fielding this question. Okay. I'm rebelling against mediocrity and nihilism. I hate those. I hate them so much. And I think that they go hand in hand. The idea that, that excellence is unattainable or even undesirable is, mm. is just poison to individuals. It's poison to families and it's poison to society at large. And sadly, we live in a culture that's, that's lionizing these things. It's, it's making these things into no noble virtues because if somebody, and it's what you talked about, if somebody pursues excellence and somebody else doesn't pursue excellence, then there's this comparison and it makes the person who doesn't choose or is incapable of attaining the same level of excellence feel bad. And so what do we do? We celebrate mediocrity. We, we celebrate the lowest common denominator so that people don't feel bad about not attaining either their own potential and excellence or meeting somebody else's level of excellence rather than focusing on that excellence itself. And that focus on mediocrity ultimately creates this idea of nihilism because if there are no gods, there are no heroes, there is no ability, there's no virtue, there's no goodness, then what's the point in anything? If we're just mm -hmm. here to, to just please ourselves and then die, I mean, that's about as nihilistic as it gets. So that's what I'm rebelling against. And what gives you that deep conviction? Like, where did that come from? Oh, man, for me, you can't separate that from my religious beliefs. You can't mm -hmm. separate it from a belief in God, from a belief in the gospel, from from core doctrines and understandings. But but really, when you think about, and this has always been the beauty of, of religion, especially of like the, the Abrahamic faith that believe that we are children of God, is he's created us for something bigger. And it's not just to please ourselves, or it's not just to to attain some level of pathetic, whatever feels good. Like there's always been a demand of excellence and obedience is excellence and sacrifice is excellence. And when you can see the nobility and the goodness and, and the power that comes from that, it becomes a very different relationship with all of those things. Yes. Yes. So this is something that's been core for you for life that the, the idea of excellence, 
but it doesn't seem like it's a, a, there's not this, I got to prove myself piece to this. So, no. So where's that difference, right? Because a lot of us might be pursuing excellence because there's still this insecurity that I, that I got to be better. I got to be better. So right. what's that like? I'm going to pursue excellence, but I'm, I don't know if the word's content with who I am. Yeah. But I, it's kind of like a divine discontent where you're grateful for where you are. You're proud of who you are. You're happy with who you are, but you also know that you haven't reached your full potential yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know for me, it's just that I've gotten addicted to self-development but I, I I know what it's like to be average. I know what it's like to be mediocre and to be happy there, to be complacent with that and to not really love or respect myself very much because I was there. To be so frustrated because people didn't respect me, but know secretly deep down that I didn't deserve that respect. And then you start doing things, you take risks and you get big success or you have big failures and you realize that the successes are even better than you think they are. And a lot of times the failures aren't nearly as scary as you're worried they're going to be. Yeah. 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 This momentum starts to build and you go, I'm so much happier now. What happens if I dial this in or what happens if I take care of this or what happens if I benefit or bless other people because of these things. And it just becomes this self-fulfilling energy where you, you become more and you help other people become more. And then everything becomes more excellent in that regard. Hmm. Hmm. I love that. I love that. Okay. So let's talk about what it is that you do. How is your job role helping to not only do that for yourself, but for other men? So I teach men how and why they should care about their style and their clothes. And I know for a lot of people, that's a very odd thing. Uh, and in a lot of ways, it feels like this almost kind of weirdly antithetical approach to, to excellence in any regard. Like, why does this matter? We should be being authentic. We shouldn't care what other people think. We're not talking about being comparative. How does this all play out? And ultimately, what it comes down to is helping men understand that the way that we manifest ourselves on the outside affects the way that we are we see ourselves on the inside. And so if you can create a version of yourself that is the best version of yourself, So that when you see that guy in the mirror, you see that guy on your own social media or on your wife's social media, you see that guy in the family photos you take every every year that get Mm -hmm. hung up on the mantle. Mm -hmm. And he's not the dopey dad. He's not Homer. He's not Phil Dumphy. He's not the guy who has to do masculinity ironically because he's afraid of doing it seriously. He's not the guy who gets dressed up like a mannequin because his wife is the only one who has any concern for aesthetics and he's begrudgingly wearing something that he doesn't even understand and he hates it. But but he sees himself. He sees a sovereign, self-realized, self-actualized man that is excellent in so many regards and in so many arenas that even his appearance and even his aesthetics match that excellence. Then that becomes part of that feedback loop that we get and we see ourselves as not only being there now, but being capable of attaining even more of it. Mm. Man, I think this is such a critical component. As you just know, so many dudes, their wives buy their clothes mm-hmm. and they're not choosing what they look like. And this idea of like a uniform that I put on so that I'm me, you know, so where is that? How do we t- it not be like I'm trying to act a part, but I'm I'm being myself like I'm being how I want to see myself Yeah, because like, you're not talking about faking it or you're, you're talking no. about whoever you're working to become inside, which we should all be becoming. That's excellence. I want to portray that on the outside, not just to convince somebody that I'm successful or I know what I'm doing, but it's for my own walk. It's for my own self-respect. So just just keep digging into that for me, because I think dudes need to understand the opportunity they have to to to. 
help respect themselves. Right. I think the best way to to compare this or to kind of think about it in a way that it's a little more common for most men is to think about uh, progressive overload when it comes to strength training or weightlifting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I just hit a, a, a personal PR uh, yesterday on my deadlift. I hit 405 for three reps, which was nice. one of my big like fitness goals this year. Thank you. Yeah, I was stoked on that. That used Heck to be a yeah. one rep max. Now I hit it for three. That was one of my big goals this year. I remember when I first started lifting, I remember being in a Planet Fitness like nine years ago and trying to deadlift 225 and my grip gave out before anything else. Like I couldn't even pretend to lift that weight off of the ground. There was no way that was going to happen. And so if I were to throw 405 on on that day and say, this is what I'm aspiring to, this is what I'm going to be able to lift, I wouldn't get there because there's too much disparity between where I was and where it was that I was trying to get. There's too much Mm -hmm. distance. But as I trained and I would subsequently add five pounds and as I got better with my diet and I got better with my training frequency and as my grip improved and as my form improved and all these other things, then slowly over time, I got to where I could be and I continue to get to where I am. It's the same thing with style. And a lot of guys do this. We especially do this when we're kids or when we're teenagers. This is where the whole like poser thing comes from, where it's, I want to be this guy. And so I'm going to dress like everybody who's this way. I'm going to dress like the jock or I'm going to dress like the skater. or I'm going to dress in this persona that I don't actually meet this. I don't, I don't reflect that at all. And so we feel really self-conscious about where we are. Or other people recognize that we're projecting and we're posing and we're not really who we say we are. And so we get turned off to this whole idea that it even matters at all. Mm. And so what many of us do, especially guys who are fathers, what they do is they just continue to dress the way that they always have. There's no longer this desire to try and do more, to try and be better, to try and establish themselves more, which is kind of like going into the gym every week and doing the same routine for the same reps, for the same number of sets with the exact same weight. You're not going to see any progress. You yeah, have it's like to you're doing something. it, but you're not. Exactly. Like- you're going through the motions, but you're not actually changing anything. Right. So then what's the point other than I'm supposed to do it? So it's like you want right. to move away from this. I'm supposed to, to this is who I, I am. To. Yeah, I want to. I want to yeah. be the best version of me. Yeah. And it's not something that is externally imposed on you by somebody else. It's something that is internally manifested because you have that innate desire to be the best version of yourself and to be the best you can be financially, physically, emotionally, and even aesthetically, your grooming, your clothing, your posture, your body language, all of those things. And this is who so many of my clients are, is it's guys who have attained a level of excellence in their finances or their fitness or the relationships or all of it. And then they see their closet and they go, this isn't consistent with who I am. I look like a bum and I'm not a bum. And I need to bring this up to the level of where everything else is. So when you start with dudes or say a guy's listening to this, he's like, shoot, man, I'm 35, 40 years old. I don't know. I just wear whatever my wife tells me to. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do they start with? How do they go? Who am I? Because it's like you go to Instagram and you're like, look up men's fashion or, or you look up, I like, you know, uh, I like skating. So I'm going to go see what a successful skateboarder is wearing. Right. Right. So that's kind of like, we live in an interesting world where all the marketing is like somebody who just had some success. So they're representing a brand who, whatever. So how do you start to have this conversation with dudes to even know where to start? So we, we go the opposite. Most men, in fact, most people in general think that style, and this is actually fashion versus style. They think that, that good style or good aesthetics is something that is created by 
the people who run the magazines or they design the couture lines. It's basically these kind of people on the coast. And then they they pass it down to the rest of us and we kind of get to wear whatever is on trend or whatever is in season based on all these tastemakers, these influencers or whoever else. Really good style is the opposite. It starts with who you are on the inside hmm. and then it expresses itself outwardly. And so that's where I always start with my guys. My question, my uh, my clients fill out a questionnaire when they come in and a lot of them are really almost kind of uncomfortable with it because it's it's weirdly psychological. Like, how do you want your eulogy to read? Hmm. Or if your kids were to describe you in 50 years, what would they say about their dad? Or what is it that you want to accomplish in the world? And, and who are the people that matter the most to you? And what are the things do you want to come across as you know powerful and authoritative and confident? Do you want to be appealing and open and inviting and friendly? Do you want to be all of those? Who Who are you? How do you interact with the world around you? And when we know that, then we can start to figure out, okay, how do we express that through your clothing? But you got to start with who you are on the inside and then move outward as opposed to, yeah, Googling what shoes are on trend for summer 2022. Like that's, right. that, that's irrelevant. Yeah. Because then you're just putting something on in hopes that somebody would notice and that then if somebody else has it, which there's been a thousand pairs of those shoes, mm -hmm. then you feel like, oh, that person's copying me. It's like, no, actually, you're copying whatever somebody told right. you to wear. Yeah. Or you're using your clothing to create an identity as opposed to an express an identity that you've already created. So then that's the harder part. I mean, are some guys locked up there because they don't know who they are inside? Some guys, yeah, but a lot of it can be that you work through it and I work through it with them to figure out, okay, who who do you want to be? This is, again, what is the best version of you look like? And maybe we're not moving to that 500-pound deadlift because we're only at 225 right now, but we know yeah. that that's the goal. So what does the next version look like? And then what does the version after that look like? And then the version after that. And so you can take it incrementally. Got it. So then once you take a dude and he's like, okay, I want to be I want to be welcoming, inviting uh whatever the other words, like, what do you do from there? So if a guy goes, okay, this is who I am, then how do I take this next step to start to dress according to what I want to represent to myself and to the world? So then the next thing we do is we got to start looking at their tribes or start looking at their people because the way that things like authority and competence and mastery or openness and friendliness and uh, amiability are expressed are very different if you are a, a lawyer in Washington, D.C. versus a surfer in Hawaii versus a farmer in Cambodia versus you know, whatever else, right? Yes. And so we have all these different tribal components. It's like language where the sounds are largely irrelevant, but it's the meaning that is attached to the sounds Got it. and the agreed upon meaning. It's the same thing with our visual cues where a suit used to mean something different to your average man a hundred years ago than it does today. And it's certainly going to mean something different a thousand years from now, just like it didn't mean anything a thousand years ago because it didn't exist at all. And so you have to understand who your tribes are, the way that these virtues are perceived and whether you want to conform within those tribes, whether you want to rebel against those tribes, if we're combining a bunch of different ones, if we're focusing more explicitly on one in particular, and then from there start to figure out, okay, well, within this tribe, mastery is communicated through this particular way of clothing or this particular style. And then in this one, you know, amiability is, is, is expressed this way. And so this is where I can start to pull these things together and piece them together in a way that works for me. So do you, do you end up finding yourself running into lots of different things that then you go do the homework on, okay, this is what, you know, this is what this tribe 
perceives power, for example, or are you just helping them to look at their tribe? That's my favorite part about what I do is that I introduce these ideas and work through these concepts with my guys, but they're the ones that do the heavy lifting on this one, because I will never know their tribes as intimately as they do. I can go do research on what it's like to be in Hawaii and to be in your environment and to do what you do, but I will never know it as intimately as you do. So ultimately I'm not giving you the same results that you would get for yourself. And when I help my guys get self-sufficient, it also means that as they change, because you should continue to pursue excellence, you should continue to grow. So when your style evolves in five years and in 25 years and every little iteration in between, my clients don't hire me back because they know how to do it themselves. Just like you don't have to go back to your to your second grade teacher and say, help me figure out the vocabulary or how I can express myself on my podcast because I don't know the right words. You know enough of the rules and you have a broad enough foundation that you can start to articulate these ideas in a way that's consistent with who you are, that resonates with your audience, and you're very articulate. And, and that's the goal is to become as aesthetically articulate as most of us are verbally. Hmm. Dude. It's powerful. Like, what do you see this do for a guy who's come through and and worked with you, you know, a couple years down the road? Like, what does this do to his heart, his soul, his his character? Okay, imagine being 35, being a father of three, uh, running your own business. Maybe you've got a few employees and being illiterate, not knowing how to read or write. And then you spend a few months with somebody that teaches you how to be able to read and write and how much that opens up your world. That mm-hmm. That's what I do. It's, it's that equivalent of you can function, you can even thrive, but everything changes as soon as you attain that level of literacy. And just like people suffer from their their language illiteracy by not being able to read and write a spoken language, we suffer from that aesthetic illiteracy as well. Interesting. Do you see that when you do this, other things change, such as the house I want, the car I drive, totally. the, you know, so yes. So talk to me about that. What does that totally. look like? I mean, dude, all of a sudden comes into this realization of, oh my gosh, this is who I am. I haven't been communicating this to the world around me. Right. So I mean, and again, flipping- think about, think about that. You come now, all of a sudden you have an opinion about the way you want your home to look. So that when you come home from a long day of work, you're not coming into your wife's territory. You're not Mm. coming into your kid's territory. You're coming into a shared space that's yours. You're not relegated to your man cave, but you have your whole castle that just has just as much of your fingerprint on it and is just as much yours as it is hers or as it is theirs. This is your home now, or you get into your car where you do these things that are yours, it creates this whole different level of sovereignty. It creates a bigger footprint as far as your impact on your world and the world around you. It changes your whole relationship with everything. You just went to ha- from having no opinion, being passive to having an opinion. Mm-hmm. And we're talking, this starts with, okay, I want to show up when I put my clothes on in the morning. And when I look in the mirror, I want it to be a reflection of who I am. So I'm choosing not to be passive. I'm choosing to have an opinion what does that do for a marriage when all of a sudden dude shows up with an opinion about how the house looks, feels, flows? Man, think about, okay. We know that for by large measure, men need to be respected and women need to be loved, right? That that's kind of how things go. We also know that by large measure, women do not love men that they don't respect. Mm-hmm. And if you're passive, she dresses you like you're one of the kids. You don't have an opinion about things. 
she's not going to respect you and she's not going to love you the way that you should be loved. You're not going to deserve to be loved that way either because you're being too passive. But if you have an opinion on these things and not in a, yeah, I think those seven throw pillows would look cute, but no, I actually think throw pillows are ridiculous. Let's do this instead. And I want this reflection of me just as much as I want a reflection of you. Then she sees you as somebody who's no longer passive. She doesn't see you as another one of the kids. She doesn't see you as another one of the girlfriends but she sees you as a man in your masculinity that's very complementary to her and her femininity. And it changes the whole dynamic of that relationship as well. Dude. And I think that this is something that dudes are missing out on. Mm -hmm. Right. So when you're a dude who's like, doesn't feel like you're getting the sex that you want and you're out looking at porn, you're being an idiot. It's because you are another kid in the house. Like she's going to like help you out and have sex with you. It's just to, Check it off the list. Exactly. You got to be the man that she wants to, wants to be with. Yep. Right. And and I think that we miss this. You know, we talked about it at the beginning, like, oh, leader of the home is old school. Well, look at our world falling apart when it comes right. to sexuality, especially like dudes aren't being dudes. They're not being men. So women, it's like, okay, I, I'm not highly attracted to you. Yeah. Why do they want to have sex with you? You're so <laughs> passive and pathetic. <laughs> Yeah, it's like there's got to be that rub. And even I know when you're saying like, nah, those throw pillows are, are ridiculous. Let's do it this way. It's not coming from a, I lay down the hammer. It's nope. having an opinion. Nope. Because right. if you respect her opinion, then she's going to respect your opinion. Right? Well, as long as you, because there are plenty of guys who respect her opinion, but they defer to her like they would defer to their mom on her opinion. Uh, Ouch. So it's it's not just that reciprocation, but you have to have conviction in your opinions and then make space mm. for her opinions as well. Dude, that's huge, bro. <laughs> that's huge. And yeah. this is coming down. I mean, we're talking about why are you putting on that same T-shirt you always put on? Right. The right? one that your company did when it hosted a 5K eight years ago. <laughs> and it's still the one that has all those corporate sponsors that are in the graphic on the back. How is she supposed to respect you, man? <laughs> I wish I wish uh, this was being filmed so people could just see the utter disgust on your face <laughs> when you said that. Oh, man. Uh, but how many, how many guys do you see in those? And it's like, well, it feels soft, so I like it. It's comfortable, so I like it. And it... it be more than that. Be more. Masculinity has never been been determined by what's soft or what's comfortable. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So dig into that. I mean, talk about uniforms for a minute. Cause I know in your TEDx, you talked about like when we show up to portray something, we have a uniform. And then from that, I'd, I'd also love to say, have you dig into like how your kids view you? Yeah. Okay. So from a uniform perspective, uniforms are good in that You don't want to be thinking about this stuff all the time. Aesthetics do matter, but it shouldn't be omnipresent as far as taking up all of your mental bandwidth. Mm, Um, And so a uniform can very largely be a kind of set it and forget it type thing where we've established this idea of this is what this means and this is how this is symbolized and this is aesthetically how this makes you look more masculine that way. All of that is well and good and done and I can put that on and then now I'm freed up to focus on the other stuff that matters. And or when you put on a uniform, it changes your perception of yourself where if you put on when you're in high school and the first time you suit up in your football team's uniform, you feel like you belong out on the field. Mm, when you, yes. if you're a doctor that finally has earned the right and you've taken the Hippocratic oath and you can now wear your white lab coat, it feels very differently than if they just give it to you when you, you know, sign a brochure that, Hey, I want to go to medical school. You have to earn the right to wear these things. And so it changes your mindset and your mentality when you actually put them on. 
Hmm. And as we were talking about with, with just the clothes that you go and choose to wear, is it's going to change your mentality. It's going to change your mindset of how right. you view yourself. We just brought it into how your wife is going to view you, how she's going to want to interact with you. Now talk about your children. Yeah. Like you're setting an example for your kids. You know, you talk about you're learning cello because you want to be, you know, show excellence, but let's talk about it from strictly a clothing perspective. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've actually done posts like this and it can be almost clickbaity, but I think that fathers have a moral obligation to their kids that they need to dress well, because it is another modeling of excellence. It's another modeling of dad has self-respect that dad Mm. is someone who is intentional about his life and isn't just a zombie now that we showed up and we sucked all the fun and the enjoyment out of his existence. And so it's a way to help your kids understand that life does not end, that, that ambition doesn't end, that individuality doesn't end as soon as you become a father. Ah, that's so good. It's huge, right? Yes. Like, and I love how you lead into it. Like you have a moral obligation. Yeah. And and when you say like, you have a moral obligation to, to dress nice for your kids, you're like, meh. But when you then talk about your ambition doesn't die when you become a father, your individualism doesn't die as a father, your self-respect doesn't die. And, and what are we teaching our kids? Like, Hey, you know, enjoy ages like 12 through 22, be that's yourself. It. And that's, that's all, that's all you've got. That's the peak. Yeah. Oh. That's so sad, but right? so true. Yes. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to wear a suit. It doesn't mean you have to get dressed up. It doesn't mean you have to be formal. It doesn't mean that you have to be wearing really loud stuff or really trendy stuff or really expensive stuff. You just have to wear stuff that looks like you thought about it when you bought it and you thought about it when you put it on. That's mm-hmm. it. Pretty simple. Yeah. Right? I mean, pretty simple. And then, and then, I mean, so if somebody's like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and like, even if. Dude, even if some dude on here is like, man, I, I couldn't do any of this. But if he just went and bought a T-shirt mm-hmm. that he liked, that right. he bought himself. That fit him well and that didn't have graphics or logos that that said my identity is rooted in my consumption of this product, but my identity mm-hmm. is just me and myself. Watch that be a major game changer for you. Go buy a solid T-shirt in a neutral color like gray or navy or white. Have it fit well so that your biceps look bigger, your chest and your shoulders look bigger, and your stomach looks leaner, and don't put any graphics on it, and tell me you don't feel different even in a t-shirt. Dude, I love that. I love it because that is a simple one step that anybody could just do, right? They don't have to go, oh my gosh, I got to change everything. You go buy a $30 t-shirt, you know, even though you're like, holy crap, 30 bucks, 40 bucks for a t-shirt feels like a lot of money, Mm -hmm. and you put that on, you are going to feel different than the 5K shirt. Totally. Totally. Ah, dude, that's the simple truth to this. So, and, but then yes, like go to Tanner's Instagram, go get inspiration, go pay attention to other men who are choosing to show up, Mm -hmm. but don't copy them. Like that's not what we're talking about. But again, if you see some dude wearing something like, man, I did this the other day. Uh, One of my team members just had a dope, super clean polo on and banana Republic pants that fit him perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I was like, bro, what, what kind of pants are those? Where'd you get them? You know? And, and I bought a pair and that polo was freaking $85, Yeah, but I bought that shit and I love it and I wear it and I feel (laughs) good about it. And think about how you, that's it right there. That's the real power of it because people at work, people around anywhere else, they may not treat you any differently. 
But that feeling that I feel like a million bucks because every man has experienced that at some point. It may have only been when he got dressed up to go to the prom or it may have been when he put on a team Mm. uniform or it may have been on his wedding day or it may have been something. But you know what it feels like to be like, man, I am killing it in this. I feel like a million bucks in this. You can feel like that every day and you can do it in something as simple as a T-shirt and a pair of jeans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you're rolling in your confidence level, even if it's just that little bit more. Mm hmm everybody's going to notice Yep, and they're going to have respect for you because you have respect for yourself. Yep. So what do you do when you talk to guys who are like the gym rat or the golfer? And I'm sure there's other ones that we could bring into this. Yeah. It's like, now I just wear gym clothes all the time. Now I just wear my golf shirt and my golf pants all the time because that's not, I mean, that's not really thinking about it. That's just a little bit of this is easy and this is what I wear. So, do you dive into that at all? What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, we talk a little bit about that even in relationship to the hero's journey. Because when you think about you're watching a movie and the the token characters, the one-dimensional characters in the, the book you're reading or the film you're watching, that's what you are when you're just the gym rat or you're just the golfer or you're just the intellectual or just the academic. Mm. If you're one-dimensional in not only your aesthetic, but also your whole relationship with, with who you are, if your identity is rooted in just just my hobbies or just my sexual identity or just whatever else it is. If I'm one dimensional that way and everything circulates around that, you're a side character, but the hero, Ah. the main character is multidimensional and he has so many other good things going for him. I see this a lot with gym guys where it's like, if you, if you lift and you look like you lift and then you dress in a way that isn't desperately trying to prove to other people that you lift, but has a hint of the fact that you do, but also shows that you are aware that you have more going on for you than just your physique, you're you're now multifaceted. You are now multidimensional. You become so much more interesting to other people. And again, what's most important is that internal perception is it starts to shape your identity so you no longer see yourself as the only thing that I have going for me is my physique. The only thing I have going for me is my mm. sense of humor. The only thing I have going for me is my intellectualism because you're supposed to be more than just that one dimension. Dude, I think this is a critical component to this because we do this. We'll go like, that guy can't be wearing that, right? He's a gym guy or why is that guy? So when we start to think about our identity and and the way that we express it, we're not saying, okay, you know what? I am a, you know, I'm a hiker. So I wear everything from REI. Right. So everyone knows that I'm an outdoors man, Mm -hmm. right? So you, you fight against that too. It sounds like that we're not trying to go, okay, your style is outdoors. So we're going to look at this store and this store. And that's all we do. You're talking about, no, I'm more than outdoors. I also love fancy dinners. So I have an outfit for fancy dinners. And it can even be one that looks a little bit more outdoorsy because we pull in texture or other things so that it's not that we have these separate uniforms and these separate worlds, but we can combine all of these Mm -hmm. things in a way that it feels very congruent across the board for you. Dude, I, uh, I think this is so critical for dudes and it's, it's not that hard. Why do we think it's hard? I mean, I love our t-shirt example because I feel like that makes it very understandable, but why do we go, this is just too hard. I'm just going to let my wife buy me, you know, Volcom tees or whatever is at Costco. (laughs) That's a good example. You know, this month. I think the big reason is because in large part, we have seeded concern for aesthetics to women or to a large extent, if you're straight, you've kind of, uh, you've uh, seeded that territory to gay dudes. Mm. And 
by and large, most women and most gay dudes, they do make it hard. They make it very complicated. And that's part of that tribal thing of this. If you don't get the rules, then this is a way for us to kind of signal the in crowd from the out crowd. And we can make all this separation and we can do all this. And so it's kind of like learning to speak biblical English versus just learning a basic version of English. And like, yeah, mm-hmm. there, there, there are tribes and circumstances in which you it's worthwhile to know how to speak that biblical version and the these and thous and the yees and, right. and all of right. that. But your average guy doesn't need to go there, but it doesn't also mean that we just speak in grunts, you know, me hungry, want food. There's some yeah. level of articulation <laughs> in between there. And that's where most of us should be. Yes. And, and when you talk about those other tribes that are, e- you know, easy to go, they pursue fashion. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this, you know, put them in a box, but a lot of times when we pursue it, we're, 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 uh, we're covering up insecurities mm-hmm. versus expressing what's inside of us. And that's what you're talking about is like, let's not fake it till we make it. Let's go make some decisions about who we are buy a t-shirt or a pair of pants that makes you feel like that guy and then continue down that path. This isn't like once a year I meet with my fashion or stylist to go, what's coming this summer? No, let's get a couple pieces. It's far from that. Right. Yeah. That's like, again, that's having somebody that can cook a fancy dinner for you once in a while when you're hosting parties versus being someone who can cook for yourself and make every meal delicious and make every meal something that is ideal for what your exercise goals and our exercise for your sleep and our exercise and our, our ideal for your kids to be able to grow up the way that they want to. That's the difference. You're not hiring somebody to do it for you for special occasions. It permeates into to every, every day and every part of your life. Man, I think that dudes need to hear this. I, I think that dudes are too hard on themselves and they're not realizing their potential for excellence. And even as you're talking, I'm like, okay, if you want to be excellent, just pick somewhere to start. Mm-hmm. Whether that be your clothes or food or uh, making a mixed drinks, like start to do something where you start to pursue some excellence and you start yeah. to feel like a like a craftsman. And I think that it's going to start to permeate other areas of your life or fitness, you know, but but when you show up to it, like you said, you can't just show up and do the same damn thing every time to pursue excellence is different than just checking something off of a list. Right. Right. Because excellence is, again, that self-imposed desire for growth, whereas checking something off the list is I'm going to it's, you know, it's like office space and the minimum pieces of flair that I'm just going to do the bare minimum to avoid confrontation, to avoid getting fired from my job. And there's there's a whole world of difference between those two attitudes. Man, this Tanner, what you're doing is incredible. And I'd love, you know, I'd love all the dudes who are going to listen to this and, and people to just dig into their opportunity to express themselves as simply through what they put on in the morning and all the areas that, it, you know, marriage and relationship with kids. I mean, those are two huge nuggets we talked about. Um, before we go, and I'm sure we could have more podcast conversations about all this stuff as it's critical. If you're a dude, Okay, you got the t-shirt. What are a couple other things that you talk about to say, hey, go, you know, go read this, go look at this. What are some things that you would in- encourage guys to to do? Okay. So if you want to dive deeper into the whole kind of philosophical approach to this, like we've spent the last 45 minutes talking about and kind of especially how it relates to masculinity, uh, I wrote a book on this. It's called The Appearance of Power. And so I recommend you go start with that there. Um, that's a really good place to do it. Um, and where can they find that? You can find that on Amazon. Uh, it's on audible. Uh, you can get a paperback or a Kindle version of it. So you've got kind of all the, the different options that are available to you that way. 
If you're looking for advice that's a little bit more tactical while at the same time still not being overly trendy, I'm actually going to recommend somebody uh, who's not me, but who does this really well. Um, the site is well-built style and his focus is on guys who are in good shape, but a lot of the tactics that he applies are really good elsewhere too. Um, and he does a really good job of showing examples of good, simple style um, on his site and also his Instagram and his Twitter. And both of those are well-built style as well. Manny's a good friend and he does, he does a really good job with this. When you're ready to kind of take it deeper, this is where I come in and we can start talking about how this gets much more personally expressive as opposed to just the simple but dignified uniform approach. Mm. Tanner, man, I just got a smile right now because I'm thinking about the dude who's 10 years in his marriage and 15, 20 years in his marriage and like things are super mediocre and the dude goes out and spends a hundred bucks on an outfit and takes his wife to dinner. That mm-hmm. night is probably going to be and feel and end a lot different than all those other dates because you showed up with a little bit of respect and we're talking about just putting on some different clothes and like yep. having some respect for yourself. Like when you walk out of the room, it doesn't even doesn't even matter what it is no she's gonna be like damn who's this guy this is my man we're about to go enjoy a night together and the way you open the door for her the way you show up to that dinner that night is going to be so different and i promise you she'll respond and i mean i think that's what you're seeing absolutely in this and especially if you don't ask her permission on it or ask her opinion on it if you buy the clothes and you say i've booked us you know we're going out on friday night make sure the night's cleared find us a babysitter You've got everything planned out and everything figured out. You come out of the closet. You're wearing something she didn't even know that was on your radar. So it's not, hey, babe, I'm thinking about these shirts. What do you think? Would that look good on me? Or is that kind of out of my comfort zone? Is that a little? Don't do that. Make a decision yourself. Lead yourself. And then watch how much more she's going to love and respect you. Dude. Dude. We're changing lives right here with that. You go (laughs) do that. Your marriage just leveled up. Tanner, uh, where can people find you online? Okay, so I am most active on both uh, Instagram and Twitter. You can find me there. It's at Tanner Guzzi, so T-A-N-N-E-R-G-U-Z-Y. The uh, main site that you can check out is masculine-style.com. And again, if you want to read the book, it's The Appearance of Power. You Google that. I mean, my my name's unique enough. You look up Tanner Guzzi, and uh, you're going to find other podcasts that I've been on, other stuff that I've done, social media, all that good stuff. And what's fun is, like Ned, I mean, I love the style stuff. I really do. You can hear it in my voice and everything, but fatherhood, that's where the real love is. That's where the real drive is. And that permeates into everything that I do. So if you guys who are in this and you're you're listening to this because you're into fatherhood, check out some of my content in that regard as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love it. Brother, thank you so much. Keep doing what you're doing, inspiring men to be themselves and uncovering who they already are and expressing that as, as they go about their days. And uh, I just am excited to continue to see all the work that you do, man. Thanks, Ned. Really fun. I mean, you and I hit it off so well. I knew we were going to be friends just that first dinner, but it's been so fun to actually get a real conversation with you. So thank you for having me on and thanks for doing what you're doing, dude. Yeah. Awesome. Well, until next time. I love talking to Tanner. I mean, from start to finish, the dude knows his stuff. I am so motivated and excited to to continue to dive into like who is Ned and how does Ned show up and how does Ned represent himself to his wife, to his kids, to the world. And I love the approach that Tanner has. This is not about comparing yourself to the neighbor next door. This is about being you. And that's what Rebellion Creates all about. I encourage you, go watch the TEDx. You can find the link if you go follow Tanner on Instagram. Tanner Guzzi at Tanner Guzzi, T-A-N-N-E-R-G-U-Z-Y. Solid dude, passionate, 
with the right heart, with the right mindset, with the right motive, which is the things that you and I need to be showing up if we are going to step into this realm of ex- like really accepting that we have a moral responsibility to represent ourselves well to our kids, to teach our kids. But yeah, go watch that TEDx because it helps dive deeper into, you know, in a, in a 15 minute talk, really the, the, the core pieces behind it. And as you can tell, the guy's got a lot of knowledge and a lot of passion around this. All right, I want to say thank you to all you dads out there listening to Rebel and Create's Fatherhood Field Notes podcast. What you do matters. Don't be like everybody else. Be yourself. That is who your kids, spouse, and community needs. This is your guide, Ned Shout. Together, let's rebel against the view that fatherhood has little impact and create lives engaged in mastering the craft of fatherhood. And if you haven't done so already, please write a review hit the smash like stars button to help spread the word that fatherhood matters. This isn't about me. This is about you and I changing the world through our fatherhood role. And we can't do it alone. Talk to you next time. 